0: Welcome back to the Fearless Feminine Leadership Podcast. I'm Mandy B. Anderson. And I'm Rachel Perman. And we are the co founders of a life and leadership coaching company called RAMA Team. We're also the creators of the RAMA Foundation's leadership program and curriculum. And we are super excited for today's episode because we get to interview an outstanding female leader that is known around the globe. So Rachel, will you do the honors of introducing our guest
1: today? Absolutely. So our guest is Nina Simons, and I'm going to read her bio to you guys before we um, bring her in for the interview. She's the co-founder and chief relationship officer at Bioneers and leads It's Every Woman's Leadership Program. Throughout her career spanning the nonprofit, social entrepreneurship, corporate, and philanthropic sectors, Nina has worked with nearly 1,000 diverse women leaders across disciplines, race, class, age, and orientation to create conditions for mutual learning, trust, and leadership development. She co-edited Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart and authored Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, was released as a second edition in 2022 with an accompanying discussion guide and embodied practices. The first edition won Gold Nautilus Awards in the categories of women, intersectionality, and social justice. Both books are being used to inspire and ignite learning in individuals' circles and classrooms. Nina also serves on the Advisory Council for Daughters for Earth, and in 2017, received the Go Peace Award with her husband and partner, Ketty for pioneering work to promote nature-inspired innovations for restoring the earth and our human community. Past honorees of this award include Bill Gates, James Lovelock, and Deepak Chopra. So welcome to the show, Nina. Thanks so much. It's a joy to be with you both and with you
2: all. Where are we you joining are. us
0: from today?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am joining you from my home office, which is in the mountains outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. The it's traditional ridiculous. homelands, I want to say, of the Tewa, Tewa, and Keres-speaking Pueblo peoples.
1: Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. So what's the weather like out there right now?
2: Oh, it's actually a flurrying snow. I think we're getting an odd aftermath of the california atmospheric rivers so we're getting more snow than we've ever had oh my goodness! because we live in the high desert it's a blessing because the water is so welcome
1: yeah i bet so so mandy and i if you guys don't already know this on the podcast because i don't know how often we actually talk about it um we live in north dakota um and right now we are just so waiting for spring. We have had a very long, long winter full of snow. And and as we're recording this, my kiddos are actually, two of my three kiddos are stuck in California because oh. they cannot get on airplanes to get back home because of all of the whatever weird rivers that apparently happen in the sky. I don't know. Um, but it's awful. They can't get, get flights out. They've been trying for two days to get out of the wow. state. So weather... Um, and I think that's kind of interesting, even to to start with that conversation of the the traditional homelands that we live on. We live on here in Bismarck is the Mandan Hidatsa Arikara um, Nation. We have the the Sioux Nation that defines its home here, so the Sioux Nakota Lakota Dakota. Um, and I'm also uh, part of an Indigenous culture, and I'm a, I'm a um, part of the Oneida Tribe, which is one of the five of the Iroquois. Um, so weather has a lot to do with, um, I think, bringing in cultures and what it is that mm. you guys even do um, with Bioneers. You actually sent your first book. I think this was your first or your second book, but the Nature, Culture, and the Sacred um, book to Maggie and I, and we have both been devouring that. So um, <laughs> yeah. I love the beautiful way that you bring in leadership into culture, into caring for the home that we live on, the land that we live mm-hmm. on, um, the indigenous practices that that we definitely tried to lose for a while there and that are coming back um, into leadership. So I know Mandy, I think, wants, has the very first question, which is often the first one that we ask our guests. Yeah. Um, I think before we dive into
0: such a great conversation, Nina, about what you've written in this book and just um, great nuggets of wisdom. we We'd love to know from you what does the phrase "fearless feminine leadership mean to you? Mm.
2: Well, I sort of have to unpack it a little in order to respond because the fearlessness is one piece and the leadership is another. So what it means to me is, uh, often, I think, especially as women, We have to learn to um, face our fears. We have to come into right relationship with them. And actually, you know, in terms of what you were mentioning, Rachel, I see many of the crises we face in the world as a crisis of relationship. Within ourselves, I believe we are out of relationship with our emotions. And one of my most inspiring uh, memories is of an amazing woman who lived in, lives in the Texas Gulf Coast. And she was speaking from a Bioneer stage at one point, And she said, the way that I know that I'm on track is that I smell my fear, and I head straight for it. And at the time, I thought, wow, what a load of macho crap. Really? Right. And then, but then, It you know, what I had heard her say wouldn't leave me. And the more I thought about it, the more I found that in my own life, um, the things that I was most afraid to talk about were the things I cared most deeply about. And so I started looking at how I could relate to my fear as a compass point. And certainly there are times when you know, fear is an indicator that you should turn away. But I think uh, as women in this time when we are called to so much, um, being fearless is actually um, a really great way to orient. And, and um, because I think we're conditioned to be fearful of things that aren't really dangerous to us. And so taking those risks I think is really exciting and important. And that's the fearless part. And then the leadership part, what comes up for me is that we're all inventing, reinventing leadership in this time. Because in the course of the last 25 or 30 years, I've worked with like a thousand women. And I would say that all of them are leaders in their own right. And at Bioneers, we often say that this is a time when the earth is calling us all to be leaders each in our own specific way and what i found when i started unpacking leadership because i had the experience of being named a leader when i turned 40 and i didn't like it at all in fact i felt like it painted a target on my back i wanted to deflect it i didn't think i'd earned it i just knew that i didn't like it and um and then i i i had to look at that in relation to this notion that we're all called to be leaders in this time and i thought wow if i am so averse to being called a leader what's wrong with this picture and so the more i looked at my own internalized models and definitions of what leadership was i realized that it had been formed by our culture which is still largely patriarchally informed. And the leaders that I thought of were often top-down, hierarchical, you know, power over kinds of people, and I I never aspired to be that. So over the last 20 or 25 years, what I found is that I think we're all in a massive reinvention of what leadership means and how how we practice it and for me in its simplest form you know i think we're broadening the definition of what leadership is because i think artists are leaders
1: mm-hmm. and i think
2: parents are leaders you know and raising a child is one of the most challenging things i can even imagine right got to stretch you like crazy and and expand what you thought you were capable of and You know, so I think leadership is where we can connect our own gifts and talents um, to what we love the most, to a need for reinvention or Mm. emergence in the Mm -hmm. world. And that's why it includes all kinds of ways of being and showing up. But it does involve holding ourselves accountable to bringing our best selves forward in this time. And that's where I think fearless really ties in because it's beautiful. You know, some of the best things I'm proudest of in my life have involved taking risks that I wasn't sure I should. But when I did, really good things emerged out of them. Right. So, it's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but it's so
1: good. Love it. <laughs> I'm like, we can stop the podcast right there. I know. <laughs> Just be like, well, that was the most beautiful way to describe, and I think there really is this. Mm-hmm. Every one of those three words of our title has a different way of hitting people depending on where they're at in, mm-hmm. um, in their lives. And I think you've described it very beautifully as far as even. What fearless means is, and we we just um, recorded a podcast yesterday that goes into our leadership curriculum. Mm. And one of our thirty five principles that we teach is do it afraid, because there's so it's so often when it comes to being a leader or taking a risk, that fear doesn't leave. And yes, sometimes fear helps you stay away from, you know a really risky situation. You should always trust your gut. Um, you know, you don't want to be out in the in the woods pretending like bears don't exist. But uh, the most beautiful things have happened. I think Mandy could attest to the same thing when you do it afraid, when you take the risk, when you start the company, when you have the kids, when you um when you create, I love that you brought up artists as leaders and creators. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy and I are huge into bringing creativity um, into leadership, whether that's through music or through um, art or speaking or, you know, whatever that, 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 you know, whatever it is that you pick up or put in your hands is a way for you to lead.
2: You know, Rachel, I love that you said that all three of those words really require some further definition, because what it made me realize is that in my work with intersectional women leaders, what I've found to my surprise was that even the word feminine has -hmm. different meanings for different people from different cultures and backgrounds. And, you know, so how do we reclaim a language that actually can describe what's in our hearts and hands and minds Mm -hmm. and spirits? Because I think, you know, I think we're in this massive reinvention of everything, really.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that leads beautifully into um, so many of the concepts that you share in your book, Nina. Um, just listening to you at the beginning of, you know, just this interview and listening to you explain the definitions of of what fearless feminine leadership means to you. You you had me as excited just now listening to you as I was when I was just reading the introduction. Of your book. Like, (laughs) I was underlining so much, like, oh my gosh, this is exactly it. Because I think a lot of women have a hard time seeing themselves as leaders. I Mm -hmm. think um, men might listen to the name of this podcast and think there's nothing in it for them because it's, you know, feminine. And I think this is a great opportunity to kind of draw into some of these concepts that you talk about, because you talk about masculine qualities and feminine qualities, you talk about different um, realms of leadership. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to read um, from page six in your book, and this is nature, culture, and the sacred, a woman listens for leadership, and we will put the uh, links to this book in the show notes. So you so our listeners can go get that. But um On page six, you said, as I scanned the leadership landscape, I saw how much of what I deeply aspired to for my own evolution didn't match up with what was conventionally being modeled. And you go on to talk about um, this imbalance in conventional leadership, and then you describe full-spectrum leadership. And eventually you go on to talk about the difference between masculine qualities and feminine qualities. And so can you just take us on a journey of what all of that means and why it's so important?
2: Oh gosh, well sure.
1: <laughs> a cliff notes version. Right. I think else the questions. I think I think our listeners are gonna be very intrigued by by you and the way that you describe <laughs> this, but a cliff notes version would be great. And really, you guys, if sure. you're listening, you've gotta you gotta get the book. The um, the guide is amazing. The the questions that you um, ask in here are so good. Um, for people to be able to go through. But yes, please give us give sure. us a little bit of that journey. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: thank you. Um, let's see. In my earlier life, I want to say, um, uh, up until my late 30s, I lived with the fantasy that I was stepping onto a level playing field and that gender equity had largely been achieved by the feminist movement that had happened when I was younger. Um, and then as I was working in entrepreneurship and in the business world and in the nonprofit world, um, I my experience told me otherwise. And I kept having those experiences, which I'm sure many of your listeners know, of sitting in a meeting room with a bunch of men and making a suggestion and having it fall on deaf ears or be dismissed and then the man next to you basically rephrases exactly what you said, and everyone gets it. it. It's so painful. And, you know, in the racial justice world, it's something that's called microaggressions, right? And we feel them all the time when, as women, our voices and values and and what we uh, bring is undervalued. And then I had this epiphany when... uh I saw a film which all your listeners can find online called The Burning Times. And I talk about this much more at length in the book, but um, The Burning Times was made in the early 90s by a Canadian woman filmmaker, and it tells the very important history of a three to four hundred year period in European history that also had correlations all over the world, where somewhere between 50,000 And a few million women were systematically uh, persecuted, tortured, and often burned for the supposed crime of being witches. And I, when I saw that film, I was gobsmacked. I thought several things. I thought, why didn't I learn about this in school? I mean, I learned a little bit about the Salem witch trials, which were tiny in comparison with this, where you know, in Europe, seven generations of children saw their mothers and aunties and grandmothers all systematically tortured and and burned. Um, And so, and the other thing that I thought when I saw it was, oh, I knew that this story somehow lived on in my bones, It was the first time that my own fear of speaking my truth in public made sense to me. And I thought, aha, there is a root to this. And then as I researched, the more that I learned, I found that um, all of the social systems in Europe changed over during this period. So for example, um, the land use changed and it went from a commons where everyone shared Uh, relationship to the land to what's called the enclosure movement, where suddenly land was being privatized and owned and you couldn't share it. And in the medical profession, at the beginning of the burning times, of course, the herbalists and the midwives and the doulas were doing the work of caregiving. And they were the first to be uh, persecuted and and taken away. And so by the end of the burning times, only men could practice medicine. You had to go to medical school, and only men were allowed in medical school. Um, And in the realm of spirituality, uh, really all all of these communities went from a core relationship with spirit or the creator that was direct through their own experience and, and their relationship to the land they lived on, to an intermediated experience where the church had to be in the middle, and you couldn't reach the divine without church intervening. So what I began to see was that all of the huge and growing challenges that we as a species face you know, from the ecological to the political to the economic, all of them to the medical, all of them could be seen as an imbalance of the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. And as uh, science has recently proven, something called epigenetic trauma, which actually shows that the trauma of your ancestors lives on in your DNA, Right. Which is especially I mean, honestly, I think every human on Earth probably is carrying some epigenetic trauma, although some constituencies are feeling it particularly loudly right now, especially our indigenous brothers and sisters and African-American descendants of sla- of the slave trade um, and and tons of immigrants. Um, and Jews. So, you know, there's lots and lots of people experiencing epigenetic trauma now, which I think is part of the reason we have so much violence in the world today, um, because people don't know how to grapple with all the feelings that are coming up. But anyway, so to get back to your question, you know, what I began to realize was that not only does gender bias have really deep roots throughout the world, for hundreds or thousands of years in our, in our cultures um, because the masculine has sought to control the feminine and women because of the particular capacities we have for regeneration and for healing. Right. And for, and for um, coming through adversity stronger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But, but also, (laughs) what I began to see was that there was a way that this relates to the archetypal masculine and feminine that Carl Jung said that the feminine was our interiority and the masculine is our external is our behavior is our actions. And so we've inherited cultures that emphasize how much we do and not how we are. Right. As well as, uh, thinking over feeling. And and what I saw was that all of our social systems are plagued by an imbalance of the masculine and the feminine. So as I began cultivating myself, what I realized about leadership was leadership is all about cultivation. And we can cultivate ourselves to become who we feel called to be in the world, who we believe our souls brought us here to bring, you know, however you imagine that and uh, or feel that calling. And so as I began to cultivate myself, I realized, oh, well, we all have masculine and feminine within us. That's where the idea of full spectrum leadership came from was like, we're, we got to be done with binaries here because we're in a time of confluent crises uh, around the world. And they're scary, and they're hard, and they're likely to even get worse um, before they get better. And so we need to bring all of our human capacity to this time. And for me, that means bring being able to access all of my masculine or feminine capacities in my human wholeness, um, regardless of what gendered body I might be in. Mm-hmm. So that's a a little long, but there you go.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, um, I, I think I, there's a lot to unpack on what mm-hmm. you just said, too. But that's that's the really the same conclusion, Mandy, and I came to, mm. which we have not been in this leadership space working with. You know, like our careers have not spanned as many um, years as yours has, but. As much as I want to say there might have been some improvement, and I think there's a reckoning happening, there's not. There is still this huge upside-downness of the masculine. um, And when we talk about masculine, we're always talking about the leadership traits that are most often put on a pedestal in our society. Yeah. Um we don't talk about masculine in the way that like the the gender binary used to be. You know, mm-hmm. you have masculine and feminine in every single person. Um and being able to find that balance yeah. again is definitely what we saw um so many of our women struggling with where there there was this there still is this huge disconnect like you were saying when you were just explaining through the movie which I remember you talking about it in the book and thinking oh my gosh I have to look that up so I'm glad you brought it up again because I totally (laughs) forgot from when I read it me too Um, because I yeah we learn about the Salem witch trials we learn about tiny Mm -hmm. little things but the whole bigger stories of intergenerational trauma and carrying that through our bones and all of that like I just had a counseling session literally last week where we finally started digging into my own intergenerational trauma my grandma Mm -hmm. is a um is an Indian school survivor Uh she's passed on um but (sighs) that goes through yeah so many things Mm -hmm. and because of that Um, I think the last couple of years, I've really had a reckoning of finding my own indigenous roots for myself Mm -hmm. when so many of my ancestors have passed on to the other side. There is nobody to teach it anymore. That would be a direct connection um, to my Oneida roots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just really being a sponge for finding that connection again back to Mm -hmm. land back to, um, indigenous practices, back to creator. Mandy and I mm-hmm. were both raised in very traditional fundamentalist, uh-huh. um, type religions that we've, we've been, uh, working through sometimes even some of the trauma of that. When you know, my counselor like, have you looked through some of the things with your trauma of religion <laughs> with the, the, the mm-hmm. indigenous schools? I'm like, no, I haven't wanted to touch it yet. I haven't been quite ready, but, um, i one of the things I've talked to my oldest daughter about is um uh, you know there's gonna be trauma like their kids have divorced, their dad was is an alcoholic he's in in recovery, which is amazing, but they've got a lot of things from both sides of their family mm-hmm. including this you know trauma of being indigenous people mm-hmm. um and the racial things that go with that. And I said, mm-hmm. if, if I could do anything right, it's that I heal some of mine so I don't have to give it all to you. And that's, I think, the reckoning I'm seeing with yeah. a lot of women. in, I think my, and my generation, for sure. Yeah. Um, so that our kids, the ones coming after us, whether they are birthed from us or they are chosen by us, because I think you can mother whether you have uh, biologically or not. Um. I think that's a lot of the reckoning I'm seeing in leadership too. Is where we're mothering each yeah. other yeah. and like creating spaces where we can like even dive into those deep guttural feelings that we were not allowed to express yeah. before. And I think you said that right away in the beginning of, you know, connecting emotion. Yeah, it. we were so disconnected from our emotions because we had to be it was survival yeah. for many of us and I think all women carry that I agree with you yeah. all women carry that trauma yeah. um, in our DNA in our bones of what it's been like to be in a female sex body mm-hmm. and and what that's been like so mm.
2: yeah Uh Well, and kudos to you for addressing your healing in that way, you know, and what an amazing inheritance for you to come from the Haudenosaunee who are among the eldest, you know, nations, um, on earth and have such beautiful traditions. Um, you know, I've been lucky because Bioneers has always been informed by indigenous mentors and allies and worldviews and, uh, you know, I feel like that's so in me. And on some level, you know, we're all indigenous to Mother Earth. Um, and, and yeah, it sounds like you're doing a beautiful job of cultivating yourself and raising your children. Trying. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's beautiful I,
1: yeah. and, and, and traumatic and rough. But yep, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Because, I hear and I think you. that's part of the leadership, too. And I, I think Mandy can speak to this as well, is you choose the healing that you want to Mm -hmm. have and I think Mm -hmm. for both her and for me we come from it from different places but we're both choosing very different difficult things Mm -hmm. to heal that have passed down Mm -hmm. from generations and I think that's leadership I think that's a way of stepping up I think anytime you're willing to heal something Mm -hmm. yes um especially something that was passed on to you that somebody else should have healed in themselves right Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that is that is a form of leadership because it's once one person, it's like that ripple effect. Um, yeah. it, it it does break. Like my, my counselor says, you always have to remember that even though trauma goes through family life, so does healing. What you are doing here mm-hmm. will pass on through seven generations of you. And yes. that's to remember on the hard days. So, well,
2: and you're being willing to talk about it, you know, just is healing for everyone who hears you. I mean, it's so beautiful. And, and kudos to you for that. That's modeling the fearless feminine leadership that you're teaching, you know, and I feel like mother life keeps holding me accountable to being uh, more and more uh, precise in Mm -hmm. uh, living the what I teach. you know.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's a lifelong process. Oh, absolutely. I think you had said something, Nina, that is just keeps repeating in my mind, because you talked about how um you know a lot of the masculine quality was the the thinking and the feminine was more the feeling mm-hmm. and i just keep thinking about how how much better it is when you are thinking with your feeling like yeah. there's just a richness there um, you talk about cultivating like we've had a planting metaphor and a planting theme in our in the content of our company for almost a decade now. And every time we find other people who speak that language, it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful um, picture because I think a lot of leaders, women included like just the other day we had a conversation with a female leader and we were talking about cultivating resilience. And, and with that, like one of the principles we talk about is to embrace self-awareness and how you have to give yourself permission and time to process the hard things Mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, glean the wisdom from it and Mm -hmm. find the, the lesson. And that'll make you a more well-rounded leader for the, for the people coming behind you, whether they're in your home or in your workplace and I just think there's so much richness that is missed when mm. all you do is think productively, but you mm. don't think like as a as a whole of how how are your feelings um, communicating your ability to think? Because this client had had mentioned, you know, I feel like I push through. But I don't process, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of leaders out there where they've gotten really good at pushing through, but yes. they're not processing. They're just a, they're kind of avoiding just to keep going. That's right. Yes. Well, and
2: I think you raise a really important point, which is, you know, one of my mentors has really taught me that the feminine thrives in spaciousness, mm. and that you know we are products of a culture. That is so busy achieving and measuring our success by how much, by the quantity of what we do mm-hmm. rather than the quality of what we do. And that undermines our capacity to be relationally intelligent mm-hmm. and to actually integrate our own learning, um, you know, and and why, this is why for women leaders, I think, um, balancing self-care with productivity is a really tough thing. And I gr- I'm struggling with it myself mm-hmm. right now. You know, it's, uh, it's ongoing and, um, and it feels like layers of an onion skin, sort of no matter how much I peel back, mm-hmm. there's more and more and more. But I do keep feeling freer and truer to myself as I keep doing that. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for that. And, you know, I think there is a lot of data out there um there's a marvelous website and book called the athena doctrine that i would mm-hmm. i would um point you towards that that it's two guys who did a massive world survey about leadership and what they found um surveying like i don't know hundreds of thousands of people in 13 countries was that 66% of them believed that the world would be a healthier and better place if more people led like women. Mm. And, you know, what I take that to mean is that they're pointing towards relational intelligence. Mm-hmm. And there's more and more data that as leaders, you know, both in governance, in business, in all sectors, that caring for the people who are doing the work and creating a culture that is um, responsive and and humane and and warm and re- appreciates people rather than you know i think we we all have become accustomed to a deficit culture mm-hmm. that is actually much we as leaders are much better usually at finding fault or judging or telling somebody what they could or should have done better you know than we are at reflecting what they do beautifully Mm -hmm. And what their gifts are. And I think that's a really important part of the emergent feminine leadership that we're all cultivating. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, 45 minutes has gone by very, very quickly. I think... So uh, we want to be mindful of the time that you have, um, Nina, but I do want to ask something real quick before Mandy probably brings in um, the last question and asks you if there's anything else that you would like to, um, to add to this conversation. But as we've talked about this, you know, the the relationships and and community has come up quite a bit and it comes up in your book Mm -hmm. um, quite a bit. And my question would be, you know, how, How important is community to this rise in feminine leadership and just this Mm -hmm. reckoning of leadership Mm -hmm. right now? And is there a structure for community that you have seen that works better than others?
2: Sure. Uh, Well, many structures. But, um, you know, I believe in the largest sense from an eagle's eye view that we are challenged to shift right now from an I based culture to a we based culture. And, you know, y- your indigenous ancestors surely knew that and functioned in community. Um, what I feel like has been the biggest takeaway of like 25 years of convening women leaders in groups is that now I understand better why a patriarchal culture set us up to be in competition and catfights with each other. Because when women are in community, it we can so greatly accelerate each other's learning and growth and and strengthening. Um, and so, you know, I feel deeply committed to women being in circles in community. And even through this COVID period, um I have a partner I work with, and we've been convening women online. Um, and you can get deep and intimate online. You just have to make some agreements, you know, and then show up. And I talk in the book about how to form a women's circle. And, you know, you can do it using my book. You can do it using your coaching, which sounds fabulous, by the way. And, um, and really our capacity to reflect each other's gifts, honestly, to offer feedback in ways that are really about investing in each other's best flourishing um, and to remind each other that you're not the only one who feels this. You know, it's so revelatory, so often for me and for other women I work with to recognize that what they're feeling is not just theirs and that a lot of other women are feeling the same thing. And and suddenly it becomes identifiable as a system rather than an individual issue. And together we can change the system and we can change it within ourselves as a way of changing the system. So I think that's what I would offer in relation to that.
0: Yeah. I think that is such a beautiful picture of what community can be. And I'm so glad that you said you can go deep in mm. online environments, because mm. um, one of the things that Rachel and I have never been accused of is having shallow uh, coaching. <laughs> we we go deep, we dive mm-hmm. deep. Um, it is not uncommon for there to be tears in the first group session, because mm-hmm. of the questions yeah. that we have. And I feel like tears are very healing. Yeah, And the amount of times that we as women feel like we have to apologize for our tears, mm. I've just become more and more aware of it. And just, yeah. you know, for any any woman listening and any man that might be listening, tears are healing. And I, I don't think you ever have to apologize for them. They're yeah. just this beautiful representation of a depth of emotion inside of you. That And they help wash us clean. They right? do. and yeah. And they can be gifts to the
2: earth as mm-hmm. well. I mean, we just finished a week-long retreat Mm -hmm. where there was so much crying and nose-blowing, you wouldn't believe it, and (laughs) we we gathered all the tissues Mm -hmm. in a big basket, and we buried it all as an offering to Mother Earth at the end of our retreat, and it was beautiful, you know, and profound, Mm -hmm. Um, so they do, they wash us clean, Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for going deep in your work. I think you are a (laughs) blessing to women leaders everywhere because we Uh, need to go deep mm -hmm. these days. Life is calling us to go deep.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think from the the voices that we're hearing from whether it's our clients or other women that we are um, networking with, women are like yearning depth when it comes Mm -hmm. to leadership training or even leadership Mm -hmm. conversations. They're they're tired of the fluffiness, they're tired of uh the superficial swag bags and girly things. Like that can be fun, but you like there's depth that is so important and so healing. And you can't you can't get to that healing thing if you just keep it surface. You have to be willing to go deep. And all it takes is one brave woman to start. right? right. And it's just a (laughs) ripple effect that happens. We've seen it time and time again, you probably see it all the time in your um, retreats and conferences, too.
2: Yep. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that we've all been through a really profound passage these last Mm -hmm. three years. And many of us have lost loved ones. Mm -hmm. And what's going on in the world is tragic, and painful. And and we're all a little bit starved for each other's company mm-hmm. and for being seen and heard. Yes. And, and so, you know, there's healing on so many levels, but it's important to acknowledge all those things. I, I feel like I am going through my own chrysalis time right now, mm-hmm. you know, that is in many ways prompted by the pandemic mm-hmm. and the last three years of changes. Mm-hmm. So I think we're all in a morphing time and and it's helpful to embrace it and to recognize that while it can be scary at times, mm-hmm. it can also be tremendously liberating and exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Nina, is there any um, anything that you would want to add as a closing thought before um, maybe you share with our audience how they can connect with you? Um, only to say, I'm
2: glad you're listening to this podcast with these two great women. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're already cultivating your own leadership. Mm -hmm. And really, my prayer is for more and more of us to dive in headfirst, because um, the work that I've done to liberate myself from all of those self-limiting beliefs and structures and all of the internalized voices of oppression um, has given me greater joy in my life and greater, greater congruence in my life and a stronger feeling that I'm aligned with my own heart's desires and purpose and, and more permission to care for myself as an instrument of change in the world. And I want that for every woman. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would offer is my prayer that you keep going and and hold yourself accountable and challenge yourself and enjoy the ride because it'll have lots of bumps but it'll also have lots and lots of beauty and you know I find myself more grateful than I think I've ever been for the support of mother life of the creator of my ancestors of my dreams and of all the ways that that um, the world supports me, um, and there's a lot to be grateful for and to dance about, even while we're going through the craziness that may lie ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh gosh, I feel I mean, I don't know about you, Rachel. I feel like I could just sit here and and have <laughs> a longer conversation and glean wisdom from you. Like you're so easy to talk to, Nina, and your wisdom is so needed. And so thank you thank you so much for being willing to be on our show and um definitely we will put the link for your book in the show notes. Um it's so beautiful. What I love about this book besides um just the wisdom that's in it is also the creativity and the poetry that you weave in along with, you know, these very deep questions to help people apply what they're learning so it's definitely a book that's right up mine and rachel's alley like
1: that's that's <laughs> what sure. we are like trying to do yes um, <laughs> like oh gosh there's prompts and there's poetry and like <laughs> it's just
2: beautiful
1: and so i love it well um, please
2: feel free to use it oh we yeah, are that's yes. why i made
0: it and <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And can I offer a couple of other resources? Just yes, quick? absolutely. Let okay. us know um, how we can connect with you. How our listeners can oh, thank tell you. us about your 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 Bioneers conference and every everything you want to say. Go for it. Well,
2: thank you. The Bioneers conference is in less than two weeks in Berkeley, California. But what I do want to mention, uh, and it's amazing, but what I do want to mention is that if you go to the Bioneers website. Um, to the URL that's bioneers.org slash ncs book, then you'll be able to access the introduction to the book for free, as well as a huge plethora of resources. And one of the things I love about Bioneers is that what I haven't mentioned is having role models. And I didn't grow up with a lot of great role models So Bioneers has gifted me with a gazillion fabulous role models. And so I just wanted to suggest, you know, you can uh, check out their videos or the podcasts. And I have my own website, ninasimons.com, which uh, lists everything I'm doing. And uh, so be in touch with me all those ways. And I hope I, I really thank you both for this time together. It's you're both easy to talk to too. And and the resonances among our work are so deep and wide. So um, I'm thrilled to meet you and to meet all your listeners. Thank you.
1: Thank well, you.
0: thank you again so much, Nina, for this conversation. And to all of our listeners, like we said, we highly recommend connecting with Nina, getting her book. Um, definitely go download that, uh, that free introduction and the resources that she has. And we will go ahead and see all of our listeners on the next episode. Hey leader, here's a few things to think about and take action on before you scroll to the next episode in your podcast lineup for the day.
1: First, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, tell us by leaving a five-star review. We love hearing from our pod squad. And while you're at it, let us know what kind of topics you want to hear in the future. Now, if you didn't like the show, don't review it. Just move along and know we wish you well. Next,
0: as certified life and leadership coaches, our job is to help you get from where you are now to where you want to be. So where do you want to be? Whether you want to be a stronger, healthier, rock star leader, or you want to have a powerful speaker at your next conference, Rayma team is your answer. Here's three ways to work with us. Number one, private coaching with either one of us is the highest level of support and accountability that we offer to help you see results quickly. You can apply and pick your
1: coach at the link in our show notes. Number two is join the brand new Rockstar Leaders membership for monthly support and leadership development. You can get started at the link in the show notes. And number three,
0: hire us to speak at your next team training or event. You can hire us as a team or individually. DM us on Instagram for a customized proposal or check out the speaking page on our website at www www.raymateam.com. That's
1: R-A-Y-M-A-T-E-A-M.com. Okay, that's all for now. So carry on with your podcast lineup. Have a great day and we'll see you on the next episode.